sister's brother. And all these, though commended through their faith, did, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us. Amen. Thank you, buddy. All right, Heavenly Father, we're grateful that um, you put verses like this in the scriptures to remind us of ultimately what's most important, uh, that you've provided better things than fulfilled promises and wishes and desires. Uh, and that ultimately is not necessarily just for us, but for others. Just like those that have gone before us in the faith, uh, we are grateful um, that you've put examples down before us, and they are there not just for themselves and their lives, although they probably thought so when they were living, but instead their lives were poured out uh, and went in so many ways, unfulfilled longings in their hearts, and that all was done for us. So we're grateful, Lord, that you've put them in the scriptures, that you've preserved them for us. May we live at, with the same gusto uh, and motivation to honor you, to live faithfully, not necessarily for our own sake, but for the sake of those who would come uh, after us. Would you be with us in our gathering this morning as we um, confess, as we repent, and as we celebrate all that you've done and all that you've called us to do in the near future, Lord. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so every year I usually try to get my man Mo to come up here. This is my son Moses. Hi. Yeah, there you go. Moses is, uh, was born in August of 2014. If you don't know, the Grove Church was born November of 2014. So he, he stands as a stark reminder for all of us that this is how old we are, y'all. And so there's been a lot of growth over the years of being a nine-year-old, um, and yet there is much more to go. So the way that I kind of liken this to our church, my man, is that um, he plays baseball, right? Uh, you guys hear me tell stories about uh, how nonsensical we can get with baseball, but he plays baseball. Now, here's the deal. I don't expect him to be like Altuve on that level, right? And therefore, we should probably not expect some professionalism here, but I do expect growth and effort and faithfulness and like work, steadfastness along the way of him if he wants to keep doing what he says he wants to do. Not perfection, and certainly not for him to perform every time he's on the field, but growth and effort. I think for us, there's a good message in my man, Mo, for all of us, that we're not expecting perfection, but growth and effort along the way. And that's going to tie in as we go throughout our day today. Thank you, my man. Appreciate it. You can go to your class. I don't know where it is today, but carry on, sir. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. All right. Hop out of here, buddy. Love you, bud. Thank you. Give Moses a hand. Awesome. Okay, so uh, look, we are nine years old, and there's a lot to celebrate. So I want to just give you a history of who we are and how we got here. Someone even asked, now, is it nine years since you've been going or ten since you started? Nine years since our very first gathering, uh, I think it was on November the 15th or 16th of 2014, in our living room, there were 17 adults and 19 kids. We've always been outnumbered with the little ones. We met there for two weeks in our living room over off of Green Falls in that smaller home than we have now. Uh, we met there for only two weeks because we outgrew that space, and I remember my wife looking at me on a Monday after the Sunday, and she goes, so this has been fun. What are we going to do next week? And I was like, got it. Duly noted, we will find another place to meet, and I have six days to find that place. 
Uh, so God was gracious, though, and he provided Joy Lutheran Church. Uh, Joy Lutheran Church, just down the road, we met there for many months. We moved to Joy. Uh, we met there on Sunday evenings. I have old ads that I made. We would meet at 4.30 p.m., uh, we would come together, we would pray, we would have missional core time there, and we would come together and then eat together. We wouldn't get out of there. If you think our gatherings are long now, we wouldn't get out of there until 7, 7.30 or so, but it was a good time of family uh, and coming together. It was really beautiful. We did that until April the 5th of 2015, where we had our first public gathering in this here room. We have some pictures that we're going to show later. Um, there were exactly 100 people here on our very first gathering on Easter of 2015, and most of them were well-wishers. Uh, and I'll tell you that because the very next recorded attendance that we have, we weren't real good at recording attendance at first. So that was April 5th. The very next, re next recorded attendance we had was May 31st. And guess how many people were here? But a grand total of 36. Some of y'all have neighborhood groups bigger than that now. But that's where we were, 36 people we set up and tore down for ourselves. We handed bulletin to ourselves, and we said, welcome to the Grove. So glad you're here. Uh, but nonetheless, that was what we did. We did that uh, on and off until August the 9th of 2015, which is when we had our first weekly gathering. That was the, the first time that we really started going weekly, August the 9th of 2015. And me and my wife were not even here that day. That's how non-strategic we were. But it was strategic in one way. Josue Sanchez, now the lead pastor of Koinonia Church, which we sent out by God's grace in April of this year, he preached his very first sermon on that day. How many scripture references did you have, brother? 50 scripture references that day. They tell us in seminary, you have two at most three looks, meaning go look at this passage. There were many that day. It was beautiful. He was very passionate about the word that day and Zoolander. Those two things really jumped off the page at us. But nonetheless, brother, we're so glad you're here. And Koinonia is here amongst us. Raise your hand if you're part of Koinonia Church. Beautiful. You guys know these slim numbers. You guys are living through it right now. But I put it here before you so that you don't forget. Because nine years ago, it wasn't this many people. It was 36, my friends. Oh, man, that's beautiful. Uh, so that's, that's awesome, right? So that day, not only were we not there, but there were 70 people there that day. May the 1st of 2017, some years later, we surpassed uh, the century number, 100 partners for the very first time. On, that was almost two and a half years later. We had 100 partners of our church. A long and windy road later, currently we have 215 partners of our church. So what that means is that you might know as members, we call them partners. Um, that's 107 adults, and if you do the math, that's 108 kids. So um, like if you've had a kid recently, congratulations, you've outnumbered us. And uh, So there you go, beautiful. She's has, she's, that's it, that, that's, that's beautiful. So that's pretty much how our church has always been. Uh, gotta love that. Okay, so now that doesn't include, though, the guests and the regulars that come along. Uh, that's 75 more adults, 64 more kids. So right now, kind of an approximation of who he's calling the Grove home on some level or another is about 355 people right now. So we don't see that, obviously, every week, but that's who's calling this place home, in and out, vacations, sports, whatever it may be, hunting, that they're here and a part of this. Now, friends, that is just a part of this journey. What also is a part of this journey is not just that, the, that Koinonia Church is here, but I want you to just hear because I, I lost sight of this this year. 
And I want you to have it in the forefront as we get going as well. We are one of nine churches in the greater Houston area that planted a church this year. There are 4,000 churches in the greater Houston area. We are one of nine, according to Houston Church Planting Network, which is who we partner with to help plant churches. I want you to hear that. I want you to, to see that because ultimately church planting is, we've got to get better at it as a, the whole church, Big C Church, but ultimately we're going to keep pre- pre- pushing that envelope as a small church. But like what, what Koinonia is doing and what we have done is a very difficult thing, a very rewarding thing, and unfortunately it's a pretty rare thing as well. One of nine, nine out of 4,000 churches planted a church with Houston Church Planting Network, and we were one of them this year. I don't know about you, but that's a lot to celebrate just in this year of 2023. So you all have sacrificed to make all these things happen, and I cannot tell you how grateful, not just I and my family, but like our elders, our deacons, all the leaders in our church, we do this because we want to multiply. We want to see more people come to know Jesus, not come to church, come to know Jesus. You see, this road has not been easy, nor has it been accidental. It's not been easy because we've survived both flood and famine since we've been around, right? Multiple floods in our area, and then we had a plague on our whole world in the last three years, and yet here we stand, and it's only by the grace of God do we stand. That's it. It's not because of good leadership. It's not because of anything else. I was journaling this morning going, we don't deserve to be here. You should have wiped this out by now, much less our church, we as a people. It is nothing but the grace of God do we stand and do we get to proclaim these things. And it's not been accidental. Our mission has been, for many years, inviting all people to follow Jesus in all of life. It has never been invite people to church. It has always been inviting people to Christ. It has always been about inviting people to follow Jesus, not a pastor, not a group of people. No one else will do besides the author of life, and his name is Jesus. It has never been to attend a church one hour a day of one week of the month or whatever it may be. It has always been not to attend a church, but to be the church in every day of every moment, of every hour, of every year. So that we can follow the ways and the words of Jesus in our marriages, in our parenting, in our working, in our generosity with our money, and in our hobbies. It is all about how would Jesus do this, and let's ultimately imitate him and invite others to do the same. That's what we've always been about, and I pray we will always stay faithful to that mission in the years ahead. So here's what I want us to do. I do this every year, and it's always a little bit of a fumble on my part. I want to do things in reverse order this time, and that is to kind of have people stand up, okay? So if you were a part of our very first gathering, we used to have a picture of it. I don't know if we can find it. I don't think we have, but if you were a part of our very first gathering in our living room in 2014, would you stand up? Very first gathering, people. Look at that. Like, I love that my daughters are standing up right now. They were there. Yeah, they count. Yeah, that's absolutely. Let's give them a round of applause. So very first gathering is like Crystal and Josue and Cassie and my wife and Marlene and Sandra and, and Rodney in the back. Like, look at this. Nicole, sorry I missed you. I didn't see you right there. I just went right past you. How dare I? 
We're terrible pastor and brother. Hey, just so you know, here I am. So next, what I want you to do, right, um, if you came uh, to Joy Lutheran Church, if you've been a part of our church, whether you've supported uh, financially over the years or you came in person, would you stand up if you ever came to a Joy Lutheran, sir, uh, Joy, Joy Lutheran Church gathering, uh, a missional core? Yeah. Uh, even like, even, like Miss Mallier and, and Freda, if you guys could stand during that time, because yes, 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 yes. Here's the deal. Yeah, and, and of course, Mr. Joe Scanlon, he would be a, as well. So, like, here's the deal. You may not know these folks. You know the Madigans, but you may not know the Sproles, who, who came and would play piano on that old piano at Joy Lutheran Church and kind of serenade us as we would come in and support us for many years, right? As well as, as Freda and Miss Malia. Freda, I mean, Freda and Dave Guzman is, although he's not here, he's, he's doing his own thing with church, but, like, they've been supporters of us from the very beginning. You may not know them. They've been sacrificing for you. They don't get any benefit out of this. They don't come and be a part of this. What a beautiful kingdom collaboration that these folks have been over the years. Keep standing. I know it'll be a little bit. Keep standing. If you came uh, that first Easter gathering, um, where are you here? Is anybody that, that started that first Easter gathering, were you here? Are you here at all? No, no one started with us during that day. <laughs> beautiful. Awesome. So good. This is good. This is why we're doing this. Okay, I'm going to jump ahead to some of the things. Uh, you never know what you're going to do. Uh, we're going to get. All right, we're going to jump ahead from 2015 all the way to COVID. Uh, if you came during COVID or like 21, would you stand up? Sorry, and before all of that. Yeah, I forgot all of them. Yeah. Wow, I am really doing good today. So all the way up to COVID and then through COVID, you got here. So 2021, all the way up to 2021, you are standing, correct? Okay, so this is like almost half-ish that you've been here past COVID or you supported us on some level. Okay, now if you have been here since COVID, would you all stand now and join us? That should be everyone else. Since COVID, that should be everyone else. Yeah, yeah. All right, so here's what I want you to understand. The people that have been standing, right now they're shifting weight. They're doing this number. You know why? Because they've been standing the longest. They've been working the longest. And it's also the smallest group, if you noticed. Now we have all of everybody standing up. And if we're going to make it another nine years, it's going to take all of us with a posture of readiness with a posture and a willingness to serve wherever, whenever, however God would call us and allow us to do this, it's going to take all of us l truly linking arms, partnering in the gospel to make another nine or 90 years, which means we got to put some, someone else, if it's going to be 90 years, that's like our great, great, great grandkids that might benefit from the sacrifice that we put into this place today and in the next nine years. You all can be seated. Thank you for playing along. That's what it's going to take. But friends, numbers are not the only thing to celebrate today. There is a lot of things to praise God for. Restored marriages, uh, returning teenagers that have rebelled and are now returning back to not just the church but to Christ. There's family discipleship that is happening in our homes. Men are being challenged to lead at home and women are being encouraged to lead in the church. It's not always that way. <laughs> not always that way. 
There's been approximately 20 salvations, 43 baptisms in the life of our church. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. We've supported the orphan and the widow to care for them in real tangible ways, not just through Parents' Night Out, but also through adoption. There's been adoptions that have happened in this church, as the Madigans know uh, full well. Right, The gospel has been shared not just here locally in Fort Bend County, but we've also sent money all over the world, including El Salvador, many other places, but ultimately in India, where we've gone across the sea, not just across the street to share the gospel, at great cost to many people to be able to send our people over across the sea to a faraway land where we are supporting church plants. And I'm talking hundreds of church plants in India. Multiple orphans, I'm talking in the hundreds of orphans now, have we been able to support over the years, not to mention the many widows that were created. Widows were actually created because of their persecution, because they were simply Christians. They claimed the name of Jesus and their husband or both parents were killed, and that's where these widows and these orphans have come from over the year. There is a true cost there, and it's because of your sacrifice that they've been able to thrive these nine years. I'm going to tell you right now, every time I talk to our partner in India, the same thing comes out of his mouth. If not for you, Pastor, if not for the Grove Church, we would never have been here. We would not have made it. It was when you came that everything changed. It's when the Grove started to support us, it's when everything changed for them. So truly, you guys are making a difference whether you see it or not. And it is really beautiful, and it's worldwide. Here's the deal, right? Over the long haul, the consistent message at the Grove has been of Mark chapter 1, verse 15, which says this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Change your mind and trust. Repent and be faithful. Not just believe one time in the gospel, but be faithful in the gospel for all of life, in all of life. And that is the core of the outline that I want to put before you today. Not just that you would repent and believe, but I need to repent so that we can all remain faithful. Are you ready for this? Happy anniversary Sunday. I get to be vulnerable on the stage and confess some sin. Isn't that exciting? Um, so here's why I'm doing this. Um, this started to come upon me about a month ago. Uh, I'm doing this because the Bible says this, and I think because of the newness of our church, we've missed some of these core messages from long ago when all we talked about was repentance and faith, repentance and faith. We did a whole sermon series on this from years ago, and I think that maybe over time we've either lost that because of new people or it's grown so familiar for us that it just no longer has the same bite to it. So let me just... Let me just model this out for you. Here's what I know the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. I don't know about you, but I'm really good at concealing transgressions. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now, here's also what I know. In the Bible, there's consistent modeling that um, those that are leaders of congregations and communities should have a, a public uh, confession every once in a while if that sin affects uh, the, the people that they're leading. And I can tell you my sin has affected you. And you all are going, oh my gosh, what are you about to confess? Here's what I'm going to confess. Um, in March of 2017, um, I began to have conversations about land. 
And I kept that a secret, um, not like, uh, ooh, uh, like hide it in the dark secret. I kept it a secret from the congregation for many years. Actually, it was until uh, fall of 21. So it was about four and a half years that the elders knew these conversations were happening. A select few others knew that this conversation was happening. Uh, But the congregation, we did not tell all of our partners until fall of 21. And the reason why we didn't tell everyone right away is because of the very uh, reality that I've been living in. And I had one concern in telling you all about a particular piece of land, um, about the cost, about all the things that we were hoping to see happen. Um, I had one concern, and this was the concern rooted in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, which says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I was concerned, I did not want your heart to grow sick if if there was a delay in finding land. And where are we today? And yet, in the land of delay is where we are. See, the problem was that I was aware of the danger for you all, and I knew there was a danger for me, but I somehow thought I was immune to the danger. And I can tell you right now that this year I have experienced uh, a lack of motivation and boredom in my job that I've never thought I would ever experience in my life. And the reason why is because my heart grew sick. I began to put my hope in land. And I then started to um, uh, define my worth by whether or not I could deliver some things to y'all. Vomit. And so I began to start to think about like, You know, I'm not really that good of a leader or pastor or preacher if I don't start to deliver on things like land and building and all these things. And I'm going to tell you, it's a trap. And here's what the problem was going back to uh, the lack of desire to like work, which really came to a head last month. Um, For whatever reason, in October is always just a low month for me emotionally. Um, I think it's spiritual attack because I became a believer in October, and so the enemy just goes, oh, you want to celebrate? Yeah, I ain't going to let you do that this time. And for whatever reason, that's just my reality. I've come to know what, what happens. I've become more aware of it over many years of walking with Jesus, but it's still there. And so my confession isn't just that I've struggled through these things, but I have um, grown a spirit of entitlement with the Lord. And here's the idol that needs to be confessed and repented of results, fruit. I don't know if you struggle with that, that I don't want to be faithful to you, Lord, anymore because you're slow in delivering what I thought you were going to deliver by now. Like, I don't know if your marriage is sometimes feels that or your work sometimes feels that or just like when you, when you cro- cross over thresholds of, I'm 30 now, I shouldn't be dealing with this. Who says? I'm 40 now, I shouldn't be dealing with all that. Who says? And on and on you go, right? Who says that we shouldn't be? This is what we're dealing with. And yet somehow I, again, had fallen into the trap of expecting and becoming entitled that God was going to make good on the things that I was demanding. He never promised us land, never promised fruit, never promised reward, much less on my timeline. And he certainly hasn't provided for us this level of success or definition of success that I was putting on myself. Not, you know, not one of you have demanded land 
in nine years. Not one of you have said, you know what? If we don't have land by 2023 or 2024, I'm out of here. Not one of you. Because it's not in you. And I'm so grateful that's not who you are. But you know what? Who was in? Who's in me? And I wasn't demanding it of you. I was demanding it of the king. So in my despondency, I reached out for help. I called Cofield, who's my coach counselor. He gave me some practical things to work through. He gave me a list of books to read on the midlife crisis. Like, thanks a lot. Wasn't aware that was happening. Thank you. But then I had a second phone call, and this is to my buddy Brett up in Virginia. And this is what he said to me. It was really beautiful. He said, this is why I love your name. I was like, Lance, you love my name? He's like, no, no, The Grove. I was like, okay, tell me more. He goes, a grove takes a long time to grow. It takes a long time to bear any sort of fruit for there to be any sort of harvest. And it takes a lot more work than you're willing to put in. You, sir, are expecting too much too soon. How long have you been going? I was like, nine years. He's like, that ain't long enough. You need to at least double that for you, for you to see any sort of harvest. You still need, he said, you still need to take the time to take root and to grow. And that, my friends, is when it all clicked that I had been staring at dirt without faith. See, that's the work of a farmer. That's the work of a gardener. You stare at dirt, you work at dirt, and if you're not careful, you forget that there's something buried underneath that dirt that will one day give us life, provide sustenance for the family, whatever it may be. And I, friends, had lost the desire to continue in faithfulness because I quit believing in what I could not see and only focused on the dirt. And so I know that this has affected us as a congregation because it revolved around me wanting to preach and lead. And I, I can't tell you I'm out of it. I can tell you I'm on the way out. So that's good news. Uh, but at the same time, there is something here that we all, I think, are called to remember and that is this, especially as we move forward into the next nine years. The long route is often God's preferred route for your life. It is often the place where God does his best work when we're wandering around. It's why, did you catch what Moses read? Did you see it? Did you hear it? All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. <laughs> the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, all of them lived faithfully and died without reward. I need to hear that again and again and again so that the idol of fruitfulness and reward will be chiseled out of my heart forever and ever that we are next in a long line of saints who have gone with longing in our hearts yet unfulfilled. And because we forget, I want to illustrate the point. Do you remember a guy named Joseph? Joseph had two dreams about his brothers, that his brothers would bow down to him. What a dream to have. What a dream to have. And yet, did you know that in the space between the promise given to him in dreams and the fulfillment took more than 20 years for that to happen? And in those 20 years, we read the craziness of Joseph's life. His brothers try to sell, they, they want to murder him, and they change their mind. And you go, you know, we'll just sell him into slavery. 
which he was there for seven years. Afterwards, he was accused of rape, where he was wrongly imprisoned and forgotten in that prison for two more years. He had then ascended into power for seven years of plenty before seven years of famine. And somewhere in that famine did his brothers finally show up and bow down to him just as God said they would. That's a long time, friends. 20 years is a long time, double what we've been going as a church. The Exodus, Hebrews 11 mentions all these people by name. The Exodus, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, Exodus 13 tells us there was a shorter route to the promised land. Historians will tell us it would have taken them about 12 days. But because they were fearful of war and their hearts still longed to return to Egypt, he took them on a long route. And I'm not even talking to you about the 40 years. I'm talking about the one year that it took for them to take a 12-day journey. Why? God was purging fear and misplaced hope out of their hearts. Perhaps they could have gone another year. Because when they get to Kadesh Barnea, they see the people of the land, and they lack the faith to get into that land, and so they take 40 years around. It's in those 40 years that Moses led Israel out of Egypt, but Moses never set foot in the promised land. 40 years of him pleading with God to either kill him or make these people faithful. And he never steps foot in the promised land. The Bible would go on to tell of other people. It says it right there in Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, time, it says, would fail to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and Samuel and the prophets and and all these women and men that that came along. But he does say David. And he doesn't mention David uh, or go into much about David's life, but I want to go into just a little bit. David was anointed king outside of the field of his father's house. A forgotten son is like, do you have any more sons? Oh, now you think of it. I do have another son. He's out actually in the field tending to the sheep. Oh, yeah, we'll bring him here. And yet he was anointed king out in the field, and yet for the next 12 years he was on the run, living in caves, hiding from his mentor, Saul, while he lost his mind watching his best friend Jonathan die in a war that he really didn't even believe in. What kept these men and women going? It wasn't fruit. It wasn't reward. Instead, their hope was not in the promises fulfilled, but in the one who fulfills the promises. On what God had prepared future, in the future and in eternity, not here on earth. And I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time thinking about how I can make my life more comfortable and more palatable here on the earth. And and for some of us, we do that so much, we need to repent of that, put it away, and begin to believe the good news in the gospel. And the good news is that this place will not satisfy Not on the timeline that we want, not with the amount of reward that we want, or we think we deserve. There's far something far greater that's been promised. And what was that far greater thing? See, for those that were walking, it says in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 39, and all these, though they commended through through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us. 
Their lives understood. You and I must understand. Our lives are not here for fulfillment and self-gratification. It is for someone else that God has prepared for us to pour ourselves, our lives out for them. Someone else is the us in this passage. It's not you. And they had their minds set on that. But if you go back up in Hebrews chapter 11, up to verse 13, you see their hearts were set on something even better. Let me read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 through 16. These all died in faith. Oh, wow, this is like a summary statement that he repeats twice. These all died in faith, not having received the things that were promised. That's a different verse, y'all. That's not the same verse I've been reading. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, these promises, the promises that you can see and you can say hi to, but you can't grasp. They've seen them, they've greeted them from afar, and they have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on on earth. You want to know how you're going to get through this? Acknowledge that this is not your home. You're a stranger here. You're an exile here. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Guess what it's not? It's not 5.1 acres right next door. It wasn't even the promised land that they were seeking. The homeland was something far greater. It was their home. And he goes on to say, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they had had every opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. When God looks at the faithful, when God looks at those who characterize their life as repentance and faith again and again, and it's like the daily bread that you eat, God is not ashamed to call you his people. And he's preparing for all of us a city. And it doesn't have dirt as we think of it in dirt. It is a heavenly city. And so our hope again and again is not on circumstances or reward or promises filled, but on the God of eternity and the God who promises us and beckons us forward into eternity. So as I finish my confession and my repentance, why are you faithful? And here's here's how you know that your faith is somewhat conditional. Because all of our faith is conditional on some level or another. That's why we sin. We look at the ways of Jesus, we look at the ways of the world, and we go, no thank you Jesus, I'll take that way of the world. We all do this. Why do we do that? And and I would really, what keeps you for real? What keeps you on the narrow road, even though you may fall, even though you you may sin and fall into temptation? And I would just say, like, test this. When you fall into temptation and sin, when you, when, you, when you fall into sin, take inventory as to the events that led up to that fall. What led you to say yes to sin and no to the Savior? Because I would bet that there's a question in there that says, my formula is off. I think my obedience plus God's promises or ability to make good on promises will equal blessing. And that's just simply not true. It is a trap of being faithful to get something from God. And so friends, will you remain faithful regardless of the timing and the amount of the fruit that God may or may not give you in life? 
every system you've ever learned in, educational system, much less vocational system, every system you've ever been, the American dream is rooted in work hard and you'll be rewarded. And I'm telling you, it's a rat poison for the soul. Work hard because you've been rewarded. Not so that you can get reward. See the difference there? We've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians 1 would say. And so that motivates us to live for him. That's the gospel of grace, not the gospel of works. I've said it a few times, and I'll ask you one more time. Will you remain faithful? And I think that you have to ask the question, faithful in what? And this is where I want to paint the picture for what we're going to pursue in this next year. Faithful in one thing. You see, in March of 2015, just before we launched, I asked the question right before we started going on Sunday mornings and gathering in here on Easter, and I said, all right, missional core, those few that, that, that were standing during that time, um, what, when we get there, when we get to uh, our Easter Sunday, our first gathering, our first public gathering, what is success going to look like? And I remember, and success looked like 75 people, 100 people, 200 people, and we kept throwing out numbers, and it was like, okay, good, 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 yeah, keep coming. And at the end of it, it was like, what if that's not our measure of success at all? What if our measure of success is faithfulness? And we leave the results to the Lord on whatever he wants to produce in us and for us and through us. But our measure of success would continue to be faithfulness. And I would put that before you again. I'm going to uh, turn over to Psalm 37. And I think this is the one thing that God's calling us for as we move forward. It'll come up on the screen. Psalm 37, verse 3. I thought about doing a lot more out of Psalm 37. So go back and read it if you want. Uh, or if you can, but Psalm 37 verse 3 says this, trust in the Lord, put your faith in him, and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Make faithfulness your friend. What do you do when you befriend someone? Spend time with them? You, you sacrifice for them? You, you cut some time out to make sure that you spend the appropriate amount of time to get to know that new friend. And your new friend, or perhaps an old friend that you need to reacquaint yourself with, should be faithfulness in this next year. Um, the New King James Version, which I don't often refer to, says, feed on faithfulness. What a beautiful picture that we get our steadfastness and our sustenance on faithfulness, on God's faithfulness to us, and therefore we would remain faithful to him. So each year when we do Anniversary Sunday, there's a temptation that goes on in my, in my, in my heart. And you know what that temptation is? We're going to have a church-wide campaign, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be creative, and it's going to be cool graphics, and we're going to put it on social media, and that's going to be the thing that makes our church really cool and great, and it's, we don't ever do that, thank God. But it, there's a little bit of a whisper in me that says, ooh, you know that's how you, you do things now. And um, it's not really how I do things, though. Uh, but there is that little bit of a trap in me that every year I think we've got to do something new and creative. And you know, God never calls us to be creative or novel, but to be faithful. To be faithful to the ancient ways, not to create some new way. And so 
Um, we are not, again, called to new things, but to ancient things. And so I'm calling us to be faithful to the ancient ways. And so what does it faithfulness look like for the Grove in 2024? Not 2024. Uh, yeah, in 2024. What does faithfulness look like for the Grove in 24? So last year, at the, on this date, I cast a vision that said, what would it look like for every partner of the Grove, 15 years and older, to baptize someone over the next five years? You guys remember this? Half of you weren't here. Uh, but, but like that's the ultimate reality. Like last year, what would it look like for every partner of the Grove, 15 years old and older, to baptize someone over the next five years? Now you hear that. Please don't hear me say I'm going to call you and pressure you to get your baptized one into the water. I'm not calling you and I'm not going to pressure you to like go like make cold calls on a Saturday because Sunday's coming. There's churches that do that. I'm just telling you, that's not our jam. But, and, and really the baptism isn't the goal. It's everything else that the baptism represents. You know, I'm not going to change that this year just because it's a new year. Instead, the clock's just been ticking on all of us, and now instead of five years, to four. And, and here's what that would take. So I didn't, I didn't make this abundantly clear last year. Do you know what it would take for every partner now 15 years and older? That includes... Uh, Kids like, like Stella, who's now 15, oh, now you're included. Reese, who's now 15, oh, now you're included. Hannah, you were included last year. Same with you, Greta. You're in on this. By the time you're 20, wouldn't it be awesome to baptize someone? I think it would be, just the believer. And for all of us that have been believers for a long time, you know what it would take? It would take about 100 people total over those four years. If you kick it out five years, it's 120. That's two baptisms a month as a church. When you hear that, do you think that's doable? I think that's doable. We baptized eight people, nine people this year. Okay, cool. We got like 92 more to go, 91 more to go, right, over the next four years. So, what, like, I'm not really about the numbers. Again, I, I care more about the hearts and the lives that need Jesus and what it would take for us to live on mission to reach those folks. They're here. So what, um, what would it take for you to be someone who could baptize someone? Number one, it's going to take, you, you're going to have to want to do that. I can't give that to you. You know, the Bible says, um, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, I can't make you want to do that. That's the Holy Spirit, and that's you. But here's what I know. The Holy Spirit wants you to do that. Otherwise, he wouldn't have preserved it in scriptures and made it a command for all believers, young and old. That's why 15 and older, like, let's go, man. Let's go. Let's get it done. You have to want to do this. The other thing that you're going to have to want to do is take your discipleship seriously. You're going to actually have to want to grow. You're going to have to own your spiritual walk. No one else can do this for you. We can help. We can provide resources and all sorts of things along the way, but no one can carve out that time every morning or evening or whenever it may be or both to pray, to get in the word, and to sacrifice, scrolling for the scriptures. 
Like if you just took away scrolling for 10 minutes of your life, number one, you didn't miss anything, and number two, you'd find the treasure that is truly Christ. You have to take your discipleship seriously. And what is discipleship? This is how we define discipleship here at the Grove. Leading others to follow Jesus in all of life in increasing measure. You know what it doesn't start with? You. It's assumed you're wanting to grow, and now you're called to lead others to follow Jesus in increasing measure. I put out a, a video this week of Kat Von D., I don't know if you know who Kat Von D is, but I put out a video to our neighbor group leaders this week, and I just said, Kat Von D was a, a reality TV star back, back in the 2000s on like LA Inc. and Miami Inc., tattooed from head to toe, and she's recently become a believer in the last few years, and got baptized and posted her, her baptism video online, and all the Christians came out to just criticize her, like, oh, your hands didn't go all the way in, this didn't really count, like those are the things that people are really telling her. Um, and so she's had to get over a little bit of the disappointment of the Christian community. And at the same time, as she presses in, she's like, I go to a really small church. I don't really need all the, all the, 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 the fame and the, all what are the lights. I don't need to go to a concert every, every week. I don't even need the fuzzy feel-good stories. I just want to learn about Jesus. You want to know what your neighbors need? They don't need all the fancy whatever. They don't need you to be articulate. They need you to be authentic with your faith. And just invite them to learn about Jesus. You gotta think about, you gotta want this, you gotta take your discipleship seriously, and you gotta also believe and therefore live out of your identity as a missionary, as a witness. Therefore, you will be my witnesses. Take inventory of who's in your home that needs Jesus and invite them to follow him. Take inventory of those in your neighborhoods, networks, and nations and invite them to follow uh, Jesus. Have you taken inventory of who God has put in your life? Last week, I said 40 million Americans have de-churched. 18% of America has de-churched. And 83% of them are just waiting for a friend to invite them back. you got some friends. And this isn't about growing a church. Invite them to any church. Oh, you don't want to come to, to a small church where we're going to be like, know you? Go to a bigger one. Fine, start there. Be anonymous somewhere. That's fine. But at some point, let that anonymity fall off and get into true biblical formational community so that you can grow into what God's calling you to be. God has put at least one person in your path in this next year or four years that needs what you have. Do you believe that about yourself? That the people in your life are God-ordained for the purpose of either growing in Christ together or coming to Christ with you. Someone in your life needs Jesus and you have been sent to them. Who do you quietly observe online and judge them and be like, oh man, their life is a wreck. You know you do it. I do it. And I go, man, that's sad. Do I ever engage them? Do I ever invite them to lunch? Who do you quietly observe in your family, in your circle of influence or your friends, at work, at the ball fields, that you know, you can see are not, at least currently, following Jesus? Can you see that they have a need for Jesus, that their marriage is a wreck, their kids aren't getting what they need, and they, they, they can, you can see that they are drowning out their sorrow in the world's pleasures? Engage. They need Jesus just like you did at one point. Remember when someone came and gave you the good news of Jesus? And though you thought you were good without him, you were horrible without him. I remember. 
And yet my friends were steadfast and pushed past all the nonsense to bring the good news. You too are that friend to give someone else the good news. What would you need to, be, to sacrifice in order to be hospitable to them? To risk relationally and to share what is most important to you. That's what it would take, is identifying one person over the next four years that needs Jesus. And you bring them that good news, that gospel of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus given for them. That as good as they are, they could never be good enough to be accepted by works. Otherwise, Jesus came for nothing. But he came to die for the good, or they think they're good, and for the sinner. And what would it mean, what would it produce if we all did this? Here's what it would mean for the grove. The grove would need to train more leaders. We would need to prepare to multiply neighborhood groups. We have 13 neighborhood groups right now. If we did this, we would need 23 that's a pretty massive amount of neighborhood groups. We would need to multiply our kids' environments to three or four to like five or six. Ultimately, it would need, we need new space. Would we not at some point, if this, all this was going down, at least a different school to meet in, because this is at capacity at this point. Something would have to change, and eventually, somewhere along this way, we go not just from one church of the Grove, two churches with Koinonia, but three or four Katie, Rosenberg, and wherever else we can continue to share the gospel. See, it's not just about the baptisms. It's what the baptisms represent. And it's about saturating this area with true gospel-believing believers, followers of Jesus that invite others, people to do the same thing that they do week in and week out, day in and day out, faithfulness. So friends, as we go forward in the next four years, nine years, perhaps 90 years, I will return to the call of Psalm 37.3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Let's pray together. Lord, would we be friends to faithfulness? Would it not be apathetic? Would it not be an old friend that we see in the grocery store and be like, oh, I don't have time for that today. But let faithfulness be someone that we are sacrificing for, that we are befriending, that we are feeding on. We're feeding on you, O oh Lord, and may we just represent what faithfulness looks like. Lord, in the room, there are many hearts that are tempted to fall into sin by only being faithful when they get what we want, not they, we, when we get what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. I pray that we would name that today with you, O oh Lord, and where it's gotten a hold of our heart and misplaced our hope, gently correct us and restore us like you do. Align our hearts unto yours. Is that old song, break our hearts for what break yours. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be broken for the things that misalign to the kingdom. And Lord, we're so grateful for all these folks. Nine years ago, nine plus years ago, you know the story, Lord, where this was just 
a thought in my mind, air that I was selling to strangers. And you, O oh Lord, have created what could not be created. You've spoke it into being. And so we want to just pause and give you gratitude. Not just for being the God who can take our sin, will forgive us our sin, but give us all that we could ask, more than we could ask or imagine, as Ephesians 3 says. We are grateful. Help us, Lord, when we don't believe that you're worth it. Help us in our unbelief. And may we be faithful in the years to come. In Jesus' name, amen.